Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you can get a podcast lately. Please give us a five-star review. We really actually appreciate it. The last time I said this, we actually got three or four more reviews. So thank you guys for those that submitted those. I'm Kami Morabian, joined today by my co-hosts in Jack Shields and Stephen Brown. We have a lot to talk to you guys today about, just a lot of camp stuff, a lot of injury stuff, actually, unfortunately, uh, along with several other things. So, guys, how how is your week so far? It's Wednesday. Well, it's not too bad. Nice. I mean, uh, I'll go ahead, Stephen. Well, I'll have a story after you. I think you'll like it. Okay. I think it's the thumb story. No. Okay, I've heard a oh, little just bit kidding. about the thumb. I haven't, uh, haven't gotten the details yet, but we're going to have to get the details soon. But anyway, Thunder getting the W over the Lakers. Lou Dort doing Lou Dort things. Got to love some Lou Dort. Uh, had some crab dip with green chili in it. Always good. <laughs> having, a, good. Uh, having a prairie artisan ales, uh, kind of a new one. It's called Merica. <laughs> it's a farmhouse ale, and it Ooh. is delicious. Highly recommend. Ten ten wood smash. Nice, very nice. Not having rock and roll tequila. Oh, God. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm convinced that the only reason, and this sounds morbid, the only reason, and rest in peace, Ricky Dixon, by the way. But I'm I'm I am convinced that one of the reasons why Barry Switzer is still very very alive and very very well is his winery this man he looks like he can still coach yeah kind of he's, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. the antioxidants with the he, red wine he does in yeah. in the, the free radicals you know whatever those things are that uh in the science wine. or something yes yeah, science or something <laughs> i don't know uh steven i know so like first of all how are you doing second of all you need to tell the, the thumb story because i saw oh, the, the picture of the thumb wrapped in something uh well, basically, what happened was there's a there was a phone that had like a, it was a iPhone 10, and the back was like really cracked up, and uh, my fingers slipped, and, and I basically just impaled my thumb with like a, a large shard of glass. It's more of like a stab than a cut. Um, so it's Is more it like underneath a, the nail. It's like right against it. I just looked down at. Had a tetanus shot lately, by chance? <laughs> Did you cry? 
I would have cried. No, I didn't cry. No. Um, You're a bigger man than I am. Someone was walking up, so I just put a glove on, and I like, I pulled the glove off, and the whole like thumb finger was just full of blood. It was, pre- it was pretty gross. Ugh. Um, Yikes, man. I think uh, to go along with Jack, my roommate got a dog. What kind of dog oh, is it? But the origins of the dog are unknown to me, at least. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a stray he picked up, or it's like a friend's dog, or a family dog he's just watching. It's only supposed to be here like a few days. Is it a cute dog? Yeah, it's a pretty cute dog. You know I don't kind? know what kind of dog it okay. is. Just a mutt? Kind of, yeah. That's His name's Lady, or maybe that's just what he's calling it. Interesting. So now I'm, I'm not an adopted dog uncle for a few days. Dog uncle. Nice. It's always See, the best position is, to be in. That is a good position to be in because you only have to deal with them for a few days and then no longer your responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And your main duty is just, is just to pet it. Food. Pet yeah. it and yeah, just hang yeah, out. Yeah, the other yeah. person's buying them food. Yeah. You don't have to deal with That's that. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, today's been a really interesting day for me just because uh, you know, a lot of us are getting back to work, specifically teachers, and um, I've been I've been in meetings, virtual meetings, kind of like this actually, since nine in the morning um, until four thirty in the afternoon, and uh, so I got some time to work out and then eat some steak for dinner, and then I uh, I watched instead of watching the Thunder game because. Uh, I, I thought horrible things were going to happen to them. And so when me and Jack originally got on this, I said not to tell me the score and the Thunder won. So I get to watch that after this. But um, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, I just got hopped on here. So I got one tiny break to eat some steak and to watch the gospel that Mac, uh, according to Mac, which is one of my top three favorite 30 for 30s. It's fantastic. I, I recommend you all watch it. I, uh, Salo Nazi, yeah. I mean, it's really good great. quarterback. It's great, yes. Really, it's really good. Yeah, I uh, always love seeing my guy, uh, Eric Bieniemy too. So, Chiefs Eric Bieniemy, right yeah. Chiefs the man over there. who deserves a head coaching job, but I'm glad he's still in Kansas City at the same time. So. And I, it's just like every time I rewatch that 30 for 30, I keep on thinking of like how many connections – uh coach mac had I, I was like less less miles was on that staff uh gary uh uh what's the guy he took over the job gary barnett later gary, he was yeah gary barnett eventually <laughs> took over the job and then had an issue with a female kicker and other issues down the line and <laughs> stuff like that um yeah that was an issue but he had colorado still good for a minute and uh so there's oh yeah a lot of like a lot of names that are pretty relevant in the NFL, especially now in Eric Bieniemy, who's a coach. So a lot, a lot of good stuff, but man, today on the podcast, we have a lot of good stuff for you guys. A lot of stuff from camp. Not everything is positive. I can tell you uh, several things actually aren't positive, but a lot of things to look forward to regarding the youth uh, in, in the Sooners that they recently recruited. We've got some stuff about the big 12 agreeing on, you know, the 10 game schedule, what that might look like, Big 12 Media Days being canceled, and some of the things we would have liked to ask, or one of our favorite things of Big 12 Media Days, and then just some random other things, mostly about the Sooners, but also things around the Big 12 as well. So let's dive on into it. Let's just get the obvious things out of the way right now. Caleb Kelly, Justin Harrington, and Marcus Hicks, all within a week, are down with seemingly pretty serious injuries, Tanner Mordecai gets nicked up, but it seems like not a serious injury. So 
first of all, I mean, Marcus Hicks stuff just dropped today. But the last day, we were all aware of Caleb Kelly, Justin Harrington, and Tanner Mordecai. And my guy, Caleb Kelly, just can't catch a break. And so like, when you heard all of this, what was your first reaction, Jack? Well, like you said, horrible, horrible, horrible for Caleb Kelly. That's the first thing that comes to mind because he's such a good guy and has been so loyal to the program, has been a great locker room guy, very infectious personality, all of that stuff. Someone who's going to be – all the things that everyone says, he's going to be successful in life regardless of whether it involves football or not. But then after a while, after all of that soaks in, you think, oh, shit, OU's linebacking core is uh, – a little thin at the moment. It was thin with him, and it is now much thinner without him. And where do you go at inside linebacker right now? I mean, does uh, does Sean White move over to the mic? Uh, I mean, does do you have to throw Shane Witter into the fire? I mean, what, what's going to happen there? Yeah, and that's that's a good question. It, it, it sucks all around, basically. It's the immediate thing I thought of. It's the immediate thing I thought of. Uh, of course, after I was thinking, man, like, Caleb Kelly is such an ambassador to the program. And Caleb Kelly is such a positive influence on players. And he's such a good guy. He's legitimately like a very good guy. And, you know, five-star out of California to high school. Um, Someone he, who could have easily been a big grad transfer after this past Oh, yeah, season. definitely, oh, yeah. definitely. Something and chose to come back to OU. He had a hell of a freshman year. And then just, like, with the way he was being utilized by Mike Stoops and then, like, the injuries. And, like, as soon as he got done, like, he rehabbed. And as soon as he was, as he was available last year, you saw the him be on the field. So it's a big – it's a big issue. It's a miss. It's a huge miss because of this injury that's, like, it's – I don't know if it was contact. don't know if it was non-contact. Regardless, it sucks for him. And then the second thing I thought of was what you brought up, Jack, is this idea that, out of all the positions on the football team, not just not not just the defense, the entire football team, out of all the positions, it's at the one position uh, at the inside linebackers that you cannot afford injuries because you have Ryan Asamoa, true freshman Shane Witter, who is an early enrollee, and then you're looking at you know walk-ons after that. So that's the one position you can't work with so steven what was your reaction and what do you what do you get from this depth thing well it just sucks for caleb kelly you already mentioned he's a great guy um, comes from a great family his recruiting story is really really fun to follow um but as far as the locker room goes i mean you don't have a lot of guys that are at kelly's level physically right now um deshaun white's one of them brian osimo is kind of in that that discussion as well um, maybe you can get a guy like Brendan Walker in there because he's, he's a guy that's mm-hmm. uh, a lot taller, a little bit more steadily built. Um, but, you know, Shane Witter, a guy that maybe you can kind of plug and play a little bit while you have Deshaun White kind of make up for the the X's and O's, per se, for that. Um, Robert Barnes moving down, but he's still on the light end. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they figure out there. There's not a lot of options readily available to them. Do so you maybe- think that there's a possibility – that they experiment with John Michael Terry, who, if fans will remember, was slotted to play the Mike when Kenneth Murray was a freshman. And then John Michael Terry got hurt. He was in jeans one day. And the next thing you know, Kenneth Murray's playing the Mike. Do you think that him being put in the Mike, or I guess you move Deshaun White over to the Mike and having John Michael Terry play the will, do you think that might be an option 
Yeah, especially if you're playing against more run-heavy teams, it's absolutely an option. But the biggest question is, can he play coverage? Because he's a pretty big dude, um, so he might have to slim down just a little bit. And it's just like it comes – I mean, of course, like not necessarily the worst time because it's happening in a camp, but anytime you lose a guy like that not, – I'm not talking about the football player. I'm talking like a guy like that. I'm talking a locker room presence. I'm talking leadership. I'm talking voice. It's well-respected, uh, not just in Norman, but I'm talking about in the Big 12 as just an all-around good dude, good football player. Um, I mean, like Caleb Kelly is the first one to admit Remember when Buzzy Bolton beat him out for the will and people want to say, oh, it's because Caleb Kelly, you know, was injured and Caleb Kelly came out on Twitter and it was like, no, it's not because I was hurt. It's because he just beat me. Yeah. He was better. And so like him being just like very honest about all that stuff, it's just a shame. And so it's going to put the, the youth of the Oklahoma linebacker core in, you know, in right into the fire, especially with the schedule they've got running off the bat that's going to be released seemingly at the end of this week or next week, whenever, uh, they're going to be tested really quickly. And so, like you said, you know, they got Brendan Walker out of McGinnis, and he's a guy that they like off the edge but may experiment in the middle because he's got a quick first step. And, I mean, there's, they've got a lot of youth, and they've got a lot of what they think is good youth. And, honestly, I trust in Brian Odom more. He's only been there a year. I trust in Brian Odom to put those players in positions for success more than I ever did Tim Kish. I don't, and I don't think that's unfair criticism. What do you, what do you guys think? You have been a peace of mind. I will give you that. <laughs> Tim Kish for still, I mean, I, I'd be very worried right now. <laughs> I mean, you don't get coached by Tim Kish for the first two and a half years or whatever your career. <laughs> and then you experience one football season under Brian Odom as Kenneth Murray did, and say he's the best defensive coach he's ever had in his life. You don't – that doesn't happen if Tim Kish was doing his job well. So I'm saying I'm putting a lot of stock into what Brian Odom can do and accelerate the learning curve for Deshaun White, who is picking these things, these things up really well. And I'm talking more along the lines of Shane Witter, uh, Brendan Walker, like you suggested, uh, Brian Asamoa, who we talked about this before the podcast. You know, Jack said, you know, Asamoa – he kind of disappeared in the middle of the season. And we weren't sure maybe, like, maybe it was because a, that uh, he just disappeared because of his talent or maybe his lack of execution, or maybe it's because this conference play started to happen. And uh, just like Jaden Davis and just like honestly NBA playoff teams, their rotation and their snaps started being limited to the more talented players. Not completely sure, but it's a thing that the Sooners defense is going to have to figure out. And unfortunately, it's right in the middle of the defense where Big 12 teams love to attack. So that's going to be an issue early on. Uh, you have Baylor, Texas, uh, Baylor, Texas, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, back to back to back. It's going to be an issue. And Harrington, Justin Harrington, you know, the, the 10th best Juco player in the country. Perry Winfrey was number one. Finally makes it to campus, and everybody's pretty happy, pretty excited. You've never seen a defensive back at Oklahoma this big since the early 2000s when the Big 12 was the conference to be in. And we knew he had some sort of leg stuff going on, but it sounds like he was practicing on it. Oklahoma was aware of it. But he made it so much worse to where he's seemingly, I think, not available for the season. And so – 
Steven, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think Justin Harrington with that leg issue was ever really going to see serious playing time this year I in think general? Towards the, the middle to end of the season, he could have worked his way into a role because that, let's be honest, that secondary is a little bit fluid right now with talent. Um, a lot of guys that have been there a while that really haven't done too much, but you have a lot of guys that are young that are like uh, Bryson Washington, Justin Harrington, guys that have potential that can work themselves into a role. Jack, what do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I, like we talked about this earlier. I mean, he was originally supposed to be a spring enrollee, mm-hmm. and obviously the challenges with transferring from JUCO, all of that stuff. If you've watched Last Chance U, you understand how that is. Um, and basically it didn't work out. If he had come here in January and had plenty of reps – I would feel a lot better about him getting early playing time because physically, we talked about this two weeks ago, he's definitely ready physically, other than the injury, obviously. But, you know, this, I think maybe long-term, this could prove, I mean, this is kind of maybe an unconventional thing to say, but maybe this could theoretically prove beneficial to him because he'd get a redshirt year and he'd also get one year to adapt to life academically at OU. Mm Mm-hmm which I think if you're a junior college guy who clearly had some issues, if you had some issues transferring from junior college, you probably could benefit from a year to get used to the academics and, you know, take a slight step away from the rigors of a football season, all the stress that that brings. So maybe that's kind of a hot take, but no, I think it's a great point. I I, I, I think, I think maybe there's something there. I think it's, I I think, think you know, he wasn't going to be a huge, contributor this year anyway so if he's going to redshirt this year great he has two more years of eligibility with the university of oklahoma and maybe uh can adapt to life at ou a little bit easier yeah i I think that's a great point that you brought up and honestly i i thought of kind of what you said as well as you know not only a better situation for him but like honestly you look at this oklahoma team you look how full of youth they are on both sides of the ball except they're not going to make any excuses for it like Texas has for the last 10 years. But um, honestly, Oklahoma, they might, they're going to, they might win, you know, eight, nine games. I don't know how many games they're going to win, but Oklahoma, they're not looking at this year as a national title year. I don't think anybody's looking at Oklahoma as as a national title year. I think people are expecting next year for the window to start opening for that. So I thought, well, not only like you said, Jack, that, Hey, it's going to be beneficial for Harrington academically it may be beneficial for the defense overall next year that he comes back full strength etc and I, I keep on thinking about you said you know he should have been here in January and so if he was here in January as an early enrollee during reps during you know other thing other things where they're not allowed to have contact with coaches unless their name is Benny Wiley that they might have caught this leg stuff that because they knew he had leg stuff coming in it might have he might have gotten injured in January or February during just workouts or some sort of drill, or they would have had some sort of operation uh, that this would have set him back to being starting on this year in a year that we, I think we can all agree that I don't think the Sooners are going to win a national title, especially during this weird pandemic year. So I think it's best for him, his academic career, Oklahoma long-term. And I don't mean to make light of an injury, but, in the long term and the, in, the, in the long run, it sounds like it may end up being ultimately a positive, although right now it's not very great. And 
continuing on today, earlier, there was Marcus Hicks said, he tweeted out something about God always has a plan. And typically, athletes... That's never good news. <laughs> don't tweet this out unless you, like, unless something really, really positive has happened. Typically, that's not a tweet you want to see in the offseason or in camp because that's usually followed up with bad news, right? And then we find out later uh, that he seems to have an Achilles injury and it's uh, some pretty poor, uh, it's just not good. And Achilles for any sport is very bad. And so with Ronnie Perkins suspended three to four games, we don't, we don't know. The NCAA is dragging their feet on a lot of things. We like, I imagine like the Oklahoma sports information and like all the guys in the athletics department are scrambling around the big 12. If that's happening in the big 12 in the ACC, the SEC, all the conferences, the guys at the top, are just like in mega scramble mode or they've just like given up and they're just like letting the conferences do whatever the hell they want because they're letting the conferences give them direction. But now it looks like no Ronnie Perkins for a little bit. And Ronnie Perkins looks massive, by the way. It looks like no Marcus Hicks. So now we look at, okay, what about defensive line depth? Now, Jack, does defensive line depth right now to you bug you? Depth as a whole, I feel like there are some unknowns within the ranks, but I mean, as far as upside, it's certainly there. And there's a little bit of proven talent sprinkled in there too. Laurent Stokes was pretty good last year. I think he needs to take a step forward this year. He, he does. I agree. And, yeah. You know, uh, Jalen Redmond, people don't talk about him enough right now. I don't know why. I mean, he obviously had his issues with his shoulder last year, but I would imagine those have been remedied by this point, but who knows? Um, then you you know, you've got Perry on Winfrey in the middle. I mean, he was the number one JUCO defensive tackle in the country a year yeah. ago. Someone who is a plug and play guy. So I'm not as worried. Sorry, I'm burping uh, at the uh, nose tackle <laughs> position because you have him and the number two JUCO defensive tackle in the country in Ellison and Jordan Kelly, who they really like at nose tackle. So I'm not too worried about nose tackle. Yeah. As far as the defensive end positions, you have Marcus Stripling, you have Laurent Stokes. Once Ronnie Perkins comes back, they're going to be good there. You have Marcus Stripling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Isaiah Thomas, who late in the season showed some spark. And then, you know, at the rush edge, I mean, I don't know if you want to consider that a defensive line position, but, I mean, you certainly could. Yeah. I mean, you've got David Aguebu and Nick Benito and uh, I, I, maybe John Michael Terry if he doesn't move inside. You know, so I, I'm not as worried about the Sooners up front as I am in the secondary and especially at linebacker. Yeah, I, I agree. Basically, defensive line is the least of my concerns. Yeah, I, 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 like defensive you line, secondary, concerns. I feel like they have either unproven talent that I think is good or a decent amount of depth of guys that, I, that, that should perform well. I mean, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of intriguing pieces. Um, I think with all these guys out, it gives a lot of people maybe some excitement just to see what OU has as far as depth. Like Corey Roberson, coming out of high school before his ACL, there's a guy that that looked like an SEC defensive lineman. And uh, he was right. Alabama and Georgia offered him for a reason. Right. Yeah, I think his nickname is like Baby Bull or something. Another guy that a lot of people raved about. Um, it's just as far as being a, just a, a great athlete that a guy that, that looks to be probably in the defensive end conversation. So there's a lot of guys that I think 
can step in and fill that role while people are coming back, like wait, while you wait for Ronnie Perkins. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think they're they're developing decent depth there actually, and like Perkins, he's he's your crown jewel of that that group right now. Stripling's going to be a dude. Grimes, I think he's going to be too big to end up being any sort of outside linebacker that they listed him on the on the roster. I think he's he's just going to be too big. Isaiah Thomas, uh, no, not the Isaiah Thomas or the other one, the football one. I mean, he's got the measurables. I mean, and all these guys are really having the measurables. And, you know, Corey Roberson, you know, like he was, like you said, he was nicknamed Baby Bull. And, and, and there's no, there is no uh, Marcus, uh, not Mark, Casey Walker. There's no defensive linemen that are six foot one, but 319. All these guys are six foot three, six foot four and below 300 so i'm not worried about i'm not worried about the depth because i think they're developing quality depth and that's what you want as an alex crunch defense like like oh well, they play strong side defensive end oh they played they played defensive tackle oh they play nose tackle in a grinch defense i honestly don't think there's gonna be a lot of uh i don't think there's gonna be a, it's like kind of like positionless basketball i don't think there's gonna be a lot of like oh well they fit only there now i think that's the case for certain positions but I think in a Grinch defense, especially on the defensive line, when you're rotating bodies in, it's just like squint, squint, twist, stunt. I mix those two words together uh, and do all kinds of other things. Delay blitz. Like I think they're doing so many things with those guys that they really care for a specific name of their position instead of which gap they're in. So I think that's a good thing for that group. Now, regarding Tanner Mordecai, he's the guy that got the least banged up out of anybody, but out of this very legitimate quarterback race that Lincoln Riley mentions every single year. It seems like Rattlers, uh, I think obviously it looks like his job unless Cade Horton, who has chosen number six, a uh, very, very, uh, on a shot awesome. there guys. Yeah. Very. It's incredible. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Rattler is the guy. And so Jack speak to me about what this can do for the team, especially in camp moving forward. Well, it basically allows uh, Lincoln Riley to stop playing the politics game here, wouldn't you think? And he can just give Spencer Rattler all of the first team reps at this point. Yeah, I don't just, think you're splitting oh. reps with. I don't think you're splitting reps with uh, Rattler, Schaefer, Tanner Schaefer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's or Chandler like, Morris. You're not splitting. This allows, like, I understand Riley's rationale in holding a quote-unquote competition here. But this allows you to just move forward and just plan accordingly and not play the politics game here. So I, I feel like – I mean, obviously you don't want this to happen to Tanner Mordecai. And, and it's not a huge injury. So Tanner's someone who's going to be available as the backup quarterback. And if something were to happen to Spencer Rattler, I mean, obviously you look at last year's spring game and some people sort of had a sour taste in their mouth over Tanner Mordecai over that. But he's a talented kid. He is perfectly capable mm-hmm. – of being effective in this offense. He's, he's been in the system for several too. years. Yeah, he's been in the offense for several years, and he's going to have so much talent around him, and he's talented in his own right. Yeah. So I feel like he's someone who, if need be, if he were able to uh, – or if he was put in the position where he had to, you know, run the show at quarterback, I mean, I think Oklahoma's offense would be perfectly fine. It obviously wouldn't be where it is with Rattler, but, you know – I mean, he's going to be at least serviceable in a backup role. And he's, you know, he's 
obviously this is a hamstring situation, so it's not going to be something yeah. that's overly serious. Steve He'll be good by the time this season starts, whether that's September 5th or September 12th. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, part of me thinks that the third quarterback available would be Chandler Morris instead of Schaefer, but Schaefer knows the offense so well after exactly. being in Lincoln Riley's yeah. offense for a million years in a row, yeah. seems like. <laughs> uh, Steven, like, what, what do you think that, you know, Mordecai goes down with a, with a hamstring thing. It's not too serious, but he's definitely going to miss practice. And I mean, and I think in several of our eyes, right, that it's pretty, I mean, it was already pretty abundantly clear that the players were gravitating toward Rattler as the QB one, but now right. it's even more pretty apparent. And is this a place where he just seizes control of the locker room if he hadn't already? I'll be a little bit of a uh, contrarian here. I think it's a little bit of a bad thing that you're missing Mordecai, especially if you want to have a quarterback competition, because I think you want to see someone push Spencer Rattler, no matter what. I think no one believes Mordecai would win that battle. Um, But I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you want to see Spencer Rattler take that over and be the obvious guy uh, to lead the offense. So now you don't really get that quarterback competition. You kind of just hand over the keys. So it'll be interesting to see – if we hear reports out of, of camp, if Spencer Rattler's really taking that role on or if he's going to stutter a little bit. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. And it, it's because Spencer Rattler's a young guy. And, I mean, coming in with the pedigree that he has and the talent that he has, he may feel like it's a possibility that he may feel like he can kind of just coast with this quarterback and he doesn't have anybody chasing him that he can just you know, maybe not iron sharpen iron and just do with what he has instead of trying to maybe get better. Right. I, I, th- I, think, I think the overall thing here is, and, and this is something that we've talked about with Jack and text and before we got on, we started recording, but, you know, is this a series of freak accidents or could it be something along the lines of getting back to campus later than everybody else, but trying to practice and getting into the thick of things ASAP that maybe their bodies weren't ready for something. Is this a Benny Wiley thing? Is it, is this all just a conspiracy thing? And it's just like actual, just like freak accidents back to back to back to back. Like what are you guys thinking about this? I mean, it's interesting. I I don't want to say it's a Benny Wiley thing right now um, because injuries are part of the game. They happen every season to every team. Um, but just not to this extent. So I think it's more, you know, these guys have been off for so long or working out on their own for so long, and then you try to jumpstart them right into camp, um, you're bound to have some issues there. That's one of my fears. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, like you said, the late start obviously is a concern. I will say there – take it with a grain of salt, but there are people out there who are critical – of the way Benny Wiley coaches movement and his players. And they think it leaves them susceptible to ACLs. We actually might have a guest on the podcast here in a few weeks. I won't say who it is, but uh, I've been talking to someone recently. Um, You know, obviously take it with a grain of salt, like I said, but there's, there are people out there, take it for what it's worth, who believe that what he does leaves people susceptible to knee injuries. And granted, the sample size at this point is too small. Benny Wiley has been the strength coach at Oklahoma for what? This is his third offseason here, isn't it? I think uh, so. I believe so. 
I believe so. So the sample size isn't large enough, but maybe it's a trend to watch. There, it mm-hmm. does feel like there have been an awful lot of knee injuries lately with the Oklahoma football program. Granted, I feel like every single college football fan base thinks that their program yeah. is the most injury plagued in the country. Every fan base feels that way. Every single fan base is like, oh, no one else deals with as many energies as we do. Maybe with Oklahoma, maybe it actually is true. It, it just feels maybe like, it feels like it because it was. Maybe it's because like, I cover it. I pr- I don't know who the fuck <laughs> tore an ACL at Tennessee a I week mean, ago. I don't know. But not I only just called. because that. I mean, it, does it seem like this because it was four in such a short burst? Yeah. Yeah. Like holy crap! Like fourth and two like days, right after camp two and a half days. That's not great. Like that's it was just a bad look to me, and I was like. Did they bring them back too early and just try to get to the thick of things and try to e- yeah. try to ease them? But Harrington, in? I mean, he hasn't really even been there, so yeah. And he had and he had That's lingering issues, or yeah. hell, in with oh Michael Thompson, he got to he got to damn <laughs> practice and he was playing on a torn ACL. And like, oh wow, that's probably an issue. And yeah, duh, it was. So there's there are lingering issues that we may not be thinking about and stuff like that. Uh, but regardless, it's I mean it's a concern, and so we'll see how it shakes out during the season. And so one of the things I like to look at after camp has started, especially summer into fall camp, is new numbers, New Jersey numbers, and new weights. And this Oklahoma defensive line, I mean, last year, of course, they wanted to, a lot of guys to slim down to be around two ninety ish, get below or right at three hundred to be a little bit slimmer. Uh, less fat, but more muscle, uh, and just to be able to be quicker in their one-gap scheme. And I think Marquise Overton still couldn't get underneath the 300-pound mark, but he was a good run-stop guy. He was a good guy keeping staying in the gaps because he's so big and wide. And you look at you look at these guys, though, because like last year, there were lots of guys in the 290s, but you look at these guys, and you only have one player that is – over 290 and that's jordan kelly and he's a 293 and everybody else really if you're on the interior uh defensive tackle nose tackle you're playing in the 280s and if you're a strong side defensive end slash kind of defensive tackle you're playing the 270s uh give or take a few guys and so does that concern maybe not in big 12 play but does that concern you guys with the lack of size in the defensive line? Should Oklahoma eventually play? And maybe Let's say they do get to a bowl game and they do play a Big Ten opponent or an SEC opponent because Lord knows they probably won't be playing against the Pac-12 team as far as what's going on now. And the ACC, who knows? They might be playing something like, Notre, I don't know, Notre Dame is not even considered ACC, but they are. Does that concern you guys by the lack of I guess, beef up front on the defensive line, considering the offensive line has guys starting that are 340 pounds, 330. Creed Humphrey's the lightest at 307. And Steve, Steve, what do you think? It's a little bit concerning, especially against more of the physical teams that can push you. Like a K-State that always plays pretty physical. Um, but as far Alan as just Kenny being, actually wrote an article about that exact matchup last year and that he attributed that for the loss a year ago yeah. with Kansas State. So, yeah, it's a good thing that I'll retweet that actually after <laughs> we're done recording it. It's, yeah, it's definitely a good point there. Um, but I mean, you look at like, um, like the 2014 uh, Ohio State team that won the championship, 
that was a defensive line that didn't have a 300 pounder. Yeah. I think they only had a guy that was over 290, like one starter over 290. So you can definitely get it done. It is a concern. You want to, uh, as, at least as a strength thing. Uh, but at the same time, these guys haven't been in a nutrition program for since what, February, pretty yep. much. Yeah. So January or March, somewhere around there. So, Jack, what do you think? I mean, because I, th- I think we can all fall pretty on the same lines here. I mean, yeah, it's funny because this is exactly what Alex Grinch wants for the matchups that he's worried about. He's, you know, he's, he was brought in to combat these Big 12 offenses, and what he's doing is perfect for combating these Big 12 offenses. These lighter defensive linemen who, instead of eating up blocks, are getting into the backfield and creating disruption. Problem is when you play a Kansas State team like Stephen brought up, who likes to run between the tackles and that's their bread and butter, and they have you know those corn-fed dudes from Kansas up front who uh, you know aren't necessarily they're a little bit bigger usually, and they're you know proficient in run blocking more than most uh, you know offensive linemen in the Big Twelve. I mean, it's it definitely creates an issue. Granted, that Kansas State. Uh, matchup is an outlier and I don't think too many people are under the impression that Kansas State is going to be the roadblock every year for Oklahoma yeah I mean they've driven OU you know issues in the past I mean Bill Snyder coached teams and now Bill Snyder light coaching them and climbing but uh you know it's I think overall it's a good thing I mean and, and see here's the thing at the same time most of these traditional powers like Alabama and LSU, who previously were ground-and-pound offenses, they're all moving to spreads. They're basically moving to the offenses that Alex Grinch is built to defeat. Yeah. So I'm not as worried about it from a long-term perspective, but there are certain matchups that I think can exploit it. But those matchups are outliers, so I'm not too concerned with it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think Oklahoma, they would be going more towards heavy sets against Kansas State. But I keep on thinking, man, like these guys, if they were to actually go good on good in like a spring game, would get demolished by the Oklahoma offensive line. Like Marquise Hayes is like 350 pounds. Adrian Ely like 330. It's incredible. Like Swenson was playing below 300 last year. He was like at 317, 312. Uh, Stacy Wilkins is, uh, is over, you know, three bucks in the ten. It's just incredible how big they've gotten. And Marquise Hayes already was big, and now he's even bigger. It, it, it's to the point where I'm like, mm, do they need to run these guys? Because these dudes are so heavy. And so it's just something that I thought was intriguing because K State, that's the thing. And I think of not necessarily Kansas State against uh, Kansas State offensive line against the Oklahoma defensive line. I think of the physical test every year. Who's going to be more physical? It's been the same narrative over and over and over and over until last year, the Texas game. The team that's more physical will win that game. And it seems like Oklahoma kept on getting punched in the gut. Regardless of Oklahoma winning many of those games, it kept on looking like they just kept on getting punched in the gut on defense. And now you get guys that are, pretty light but they're shooting gaps so what does that look like so it's just an interesting conversation to have and then looking at guys speaking of measurables it's really funny to look at the Oklahoma depth chart or not depth chart yet but look at the roster and see the defensive backs 
And you, you notice one outlier because of the last recruiting class because Jaden Davis is like five foot ten, Trey Brown's like five foot nine, uh, Buki's five foot eight and a half, being generous. And then you've got Josh Eaton, who is going to be six three in cleats, and he's a scrawny, one hundred and seventy five pounds. Because if Trey Brown can carry one hundred ninety five pounds on a five foot nine, five foot ten body, I think Trey Brown's five foot nine. If he can carry one ninety five on a five nine body, Eaton's going to carry two hundred at six two, six three by the time he fully gets worked by Benny, excuse me, Benny Wiley. And that's just being excited about the future. And I guess we can, we can talk about this in the most recent Oklahoma commitment, Damon Harmon from Virginia and what that evolution will look like. So, I mean, Stephen, what's your read on Damon Harmon? He's definitely a guy that I think has got a little bit overlooked. And I think you can attribute that um, to his, his offer list. I mean, it's pretty impressive. I got like yeah. Penn state, Georgia, a lot of power five schools, a lot of really good power five schools um, going with him. So he's a guy that I think is very instinctual. Um, and it's a guy that, you know, for lack of a better word, OU doesn't have a lot of guys at least proven right now um, that can kind of read the game like he does and then you go along with his size it's another guy that's he's big he can squeeze passing lanes and he can come up and uh you know help against the run yeah and i mean you look at the commitment list for 2021 and all of these guys may not have the best like they, they may not be four stars and they're not five stars but all these guys they have impressive offer lists and they have something all consistent with one another they're all six foot one or taller because Alex Grinch, again, player by player, chipping away at this narrative that you want smaller, faster guys to compete in the Big 12 like Kerry Cooks did. And I said, no, you want tall guys, so you're interrupting passing lanes and you can't pass over the top. And so, Jack, what do you think and what do you think about Oklahoma transitioning their defensive backs and how effective that you think will be in the future? I mean, maybe even in the immediate future. Sorry, say that again. How impactful do you think guys being six foot one, six foot two in the secondary are going to be maybe over a Buki at six foot eight or five foot eight and a Trey Brown's a five foot nine? Oh, I mean, look at the 2018 Big 12 championship game and the 2018 previous game against Texas, the two matchups against Texas. You had Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey, more like big Jordan Humphrey, am I right? Um, <laughs> that's terrible. Joke. That's pretty, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ashamed, but anyway, um, Oklahoma's corners in that game, or either of those games, were not physically capable of hanging with those two guys, just straight up. You get a guy like Josh Eaton at 6'2", and it becomes a possibility. Yeah. It's as simple as that, essentially. Just you have, having, and also, if you just have like Buki against a tight end. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Getting hurt. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he knocked – Credit Buki for that, absolutely dude. just blowing that guy up. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like – At a they, price. Buki – hey, man, you, like, like you said, you have to give Buki props for that, and then they had to break out the smelling salt. Yeah. Because they had to cart his half-alive body off the field. I mean, they didn't actually cart him off the field, but it's like, it's like oh, that was a big hit because the crowd said, ooh, on the replay. And then 
both of them did not get up. So it was just he was not <laughs> built for that hit, essentially. Yeah, he's not he's not built for a lot of things, but uh, nope. not for uh, catching balls usually. But he actually <laughs> caught the most interceptions. So who knows? True. At but, what is it, two or three? I he had uh, the most. I think it's two. Yeah. yeah, he had the most, and they were often in clutch time too, which is interesting. That's true. But camp Sooners, there have been some young guys. I know they're in shells and shorts, helmets and shorts. Yeah, but you can still tell some things with guys that are running through certain things, especially Jalen Conyers is listed as a wide receiver now, but I don't think he'll be listed that way next year. And, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Young guys to make an impact. I mean, Marvin Mims seems like a name that you, Steven, have mentioned in particular as a guy that will definitely make an early impact. And maybe, do you think he could make like a Sterling Shepard freshman season impact? That'll be interesting to see how much he can get in. I think he'll he'll find a role right away. Uh, but you have so much depth there at wide receiver that, you know, you're going to have to rotate some guys in there. So he may miss some snaps just because of pure talent. But, uh, I mean, he's a guy, he could be OU's Tyler, Tyler Lockett if he wanted to. He's, he's just that good. Um, he's gotten some pretty good reviews out of camp so far. So he's definitely a name to watch for this season. And one of my favorite, I guess, glow-ups over the offseason is David Aguebu. He's already had a ton of hype from last season. And then he, he works out. He gets bigger. Now this man is 6'4", 250 pounds as a rush edge linebacker. And has now switched to a single digit number, which, you know. They don't give those numbers. They don't allow that. Exactly. You unless back you're a badass. Up, yes. They don't <laughs> allow that, that unless you're good. And so, like, I think count me in on the David Aguebu party as far as he's, he may not start the season as the starting rush edge, but I expect him in the middle of the season, if not to have taken Nick Benito's spot, to have significant a significant number of snaps if games are played in the fall. And if they're not in the spring, same, same concept. He will, by the middle of the season, have taken a significant portion of the snaps. And maybe him, Nick Benito, are sharing. Maybe he's in the starting guy. I don't know. But, Jack, what do you think about this? Mikey Henderson, he was recruited as an H-back, a guy that does a ton of things, a guy that played quarterback, a ton of positions down in Texas, Two two hundred forty pounds, like seemingly the next Demetri Flowers, but a lot faster, uh, much more of an athlete. Now, at running back, what do you what do you think about that? Okay, so first of all, I think he's perfectly capable of playing the position. I don't think anyone's doubting that. The question is, why do they need him to move over to that position? I, I understand Ramondre Stevenson is out, but. Without Ramondre Stevenson, your running back room is still pretty solid. Marcus Major, Kennedy Brooks, Seth McGowan, uh, Steve Pledger, or TJ Pledger. (laughs) Steven Pledger was a a basketball player. That's the first time that has happened, and it will not be the last time that has happened. (laughs) You know, TJ Pledger, great three point shooter. Um, Trying to think. Yeah, I mean, it's what is he? Yeah, six feet, 240, maybe a little taller. Someone who, I guess maybe they don't necessarily need him to start at running at uh, H-back this year because Jeremiah Hall is perfectly serviceable. Yeah. Braden Willis is perfectly serviceable. Braden Willis is very good, actually. You're probably going to give Austin Stogner a little bit of work at the H-back, too. So maybe they don't necessarily need him in that role mm-hmm. this year. But maybe they're just tinkering around. Yeah. Maybe they're going to use him a little bit at H-back, a little bit at running back. He's someone who's certainly talented enough to do so and certainly 
versatile enough to do so. So it's surprising, but at the same time, it's not alarming yeah. because you think he's, you know, he's perfectly capable of doing so. And it doesn't seem like it's necessarily a move out of necessity. Yeah, I agree. And, and Steven, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. I think he was going to be a ball carrier regardless, um, whatever you want to call it, H-back, half-back. Um, I think he would run the ball a little bit more than Dimitri Flowers just because of pure talent. Um, but at the end of the day, he's a, he's a gadget player. He's going to be an H-back, so I don't, I'm not buying too much stock into the running back right now. Okay, and I agree. I think I think it has a lot to do with he's a young guy, and they are just seeing what fits where. I mean, they they're set at running back, they're set at H back, they're set at they're set at a lot of positions on offense. I mean, let's be honest. So I think just a, a pure testing of talent to see where he could fit the best in Lincoln Riley offense is a testament to what Lincoln Riley is as a coach, first of all, and just making sure that you know all the pieces fit well. And him being able to tailor the most explosive offense to that, I think I think it's a great idea. I, mean, I don't think there's any knocking that. But before we go to a break for our sponsors, what we have coming up after is still, I mean, like stuff that I would definitely be here for. I mean, we got Big 12, 10-game schedule. It's been decided. That's what they're going with. Uh, a lack of Big 12 media days, but questions we might have would have asked, um, whether it's serious questions or not serious questions, Talking about some Sooners and maybe some things they're doing with their helmets uh, to prevent COVID spread, I guess. What's going on in the Pac-12, NCAA, getting a snitch line, and just a lot of other things. So we will check you guys right after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, guys. So, ish, let's say let's start off to this Big Twelve stuff. They finally were the last ones out of everybody because Bob Bowlesby is fantastic, the best leadership in the country. Um, <laughs> Big Twelve finally agrees on a nine and one ten game schedule. Now, from what I understand, the Big Twelve, of course, is Oklahoma is going to have to reschedule that Missouri State game maybe once again because you probably don't want to go a month between your first game and your next game. So I don't know what that looks like. Uh, but regardless, it does not do the Sooners any favors because it seems like to me, and you guys can tell me if I think I'm wrong, it seems like to me Oklahoma and Missouri State are married to this game, first of all. Oh, absolutely, purposes, yeah. For pay-per-view purposes. Well, yeah. Pay-per-view purposes and the fact that they've been planning this for so long. If yeah. you were to scrap Missouri State, you'd have to start from scratch yeah, with yeah. The negotiations for another uh, opponent. Plus, you know, Oklahoma, for they're doing this for a reason. They're offering all of this testing stuff to Missouri State to ensure that this yeah. game happens. They would have to make an entirely new arrangement with another mm -hmm. school at this point. Yeah, they don't so want to do that. It just seems like they're completely married together, that they're just going to have to make this game work. And there's ways to actually make that, that game and the schedule work. But regardless, your first game is right out of the gate. Then effectively would be week one or week zero, whatever the hell it is, Missouri State, Baylor, 
Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. So let's say Trajan Bridges, uh, uh, the Stevenson, and Ronnie Perkins are all out. It's quite possible that all three of those guys now will be missing the Texas game. Um, if, if it's limited to three because of the shortened season, let's say it's limited to four instead of the five because of the shortened season, all three of those guys are now missing Texas and Iowa state and they come back for the Oklahoma state game. So like this schedule right now, besides Missouri state, who's going to get paid lots of dollars to get their ass kicked by the Sooners and Norman does not do Oklahoma any favors whatsoever. And if you were to look, if you were to just assume the schedule is how it is with the players Oklahoma has right now, what would you see Oklahoma's record coming out of this first five game kind of a scheduling streak? I mean, like, what do you think, Steven? I could definitely see them dropping one. I don't think I'm too worried about Baylor right now. Cause I think they have a lot to, a lot to prove as, far, as far as they being just rebuilding. lost a lot. I mean, yeah. yeah it's... Texas would be a team that just has a lot of talent. Uh, not really a lot of experience, especially of the new staff. Yep. Um, so, but you know, that's always a weird game and, you know, stuff happens. So I could see him losing that or, or uh, Iowa State. Um, but those, those are the two games I'm kind of watching there. What do you think, Jack? I think of these games, I, I could see them dropping one. I mean, Oklahoma State could be that one, I think, because they returned so much experience on both offense and defense this year. The overall talent level is not as concerning, but – Whenever you're dealing with someone who has that much experience, heading into the season before COVID, you were going to play in front of Oklahoma's home crowd. Now it's going to be in front of zero fans probably. So that advantage is gone. So Bedlam concerns me a little more than it did before, I would say. Like Steven said, Texas, they're not going to have as many games under their belt by the time this game starts. And they're obviously transitioning to a new offense. So and they haven't had as much time to work. So I'm not as concerned about Texas. Iowa State, think about Iowa State is last year they had one of the most experienced front uh, defensive fronts and offensive fronts last year. They lost the majority of that coming into this year. Obviously, at the skill positions, they're looking good, but I think Oklahoma could bully them up front this year. So I'm not as concerned with Iowa State this year. Do you guys think a lot of your maybe – a lot of your guys' confidence regarding Oklahoma running through several of these games and maybe predicting, you know, like a loss here, just like one, is predicated off of Lincoln Riley's system already being established, as well as that in tandem with they have several guys returning, as well as Bill Bienabo's offensive line. I think a lot of it just goes with Bill Bienabow because they can bully a lot of these teams. Um, Texas might be the one that, you know, they have a little bit of trouble with even Ohio, or Oklahoma state a little bit. Um, but I would, I would lean towards Bill being, being experience in this. Yeah. What about you, Jack? I absolutely would too. I mean, he's, it usually takes, see, here's the thing though. It usually takes a few games, even when Bill Bedenboe brings back a relatively experienced unit, it usually takes three or four games for that unit to really get churning. You saw that in 2018 when Cody Ford was basically the only new face, but still it was an adjustment period for that offensive line. You know, UCLA, they struggled, you know, they struggled a little bit against Houston with run blocking before that. 
you know, it was – or not Houston, I'm sorry, uh, FAU. But anyway, it was – I think based on – I mean, Texas could give them trouble for that reason. But Edenbow, I mean, if I've learned one thing, trust in Bill Edenbow. I think with you returning this much experience, I'm not that worried. And the fact of the matter is that your Eric Swenson, you know, he's you know considered the weak link on this offensive line. If he does indeed start, he started a lot of games at least. At least you've got an experienced guy. I think if you have a conventional offseason, then Stacy Wilkins probably takes his job right off yeah. the bat. And you've got a healthy Eric Swenson who is dealing exactly. with a shoulder all year. That's true. Right. Yeah, he and uh, Adrian Ely were both dealing with a lot of ailments throughout yep. last year. But um, now that Swenson is healthy, he has a lot of reps under him. And the guy who was going to dethrone him hasn't had as many reps this offseason. I feel like he could probably have a decent year and probably feel a little more comfortable in his role and not feel like someone's breathing down his throat. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I, I – I, I have no reservations about the offensive line personnel wise. Yeah, I feel I, like they're going to be free. ready to go. And so this is an endorsement for paying Bill Biedenboe as much money as he wants to stay <laughs> in Norman. Yeah. I will start a GoFundMe and we will just, we're, we'll work it out every year. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, the big 12 oh, also, the big 12 also, it was really funny because Jack texted me making sure like I got my big 12 media day credential stuff in. <laughs> and then like, not that long later, big 12 like media 10 minutes. Canceled. Yeah, it was, it was canceled. It all went to hell. So it was like, Oh, well that was fun. So, I mean, like I remember just before I got to go to big 12 media days, my favorite part about working in the summers um, was that I got to listen to like, like the radio uh, most often it would be the franchise shout out to Brady Trantham. Again, as usual, friend of the pod, uh, friend of the pod, good guy, great hair. Uh, but I would always love to listen to what the coaches had to say on the radio, and I'll listen to the players and what in their quotes. And you're not getting that this year, maybe because like, Big Twelve Media Days, they the Big Twelve didn't say they would reschedule like def- definitely, but they said they would be maybe looking to do that. But I don't know how you do that now. Um, but so, what are some things? And we'll start off with you, Jack. What are, What are some things that you're going to miss about Big 12 Media Days this year? Okay, first of all, the actual Big 12 Media Days event, the first time you go to Kamiar last year was your first year. Yeah. It was probably, a for you, I, I imagine it was a fairly unique experience. It probably felt pretty cool. You were right in the middle of Jerry World. You were walking around on the field. Yeah, you we probably were, enjoyed that part, right? You were in the elevator with uh, – Matt Rule, who also rules in his green jacket, and then yeah, I was, yeah, his master's <laughs> green jacket. And I was Joel Klatt, right next to Joel Klatt, and he kept on talking about how good K State was going to be, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've seen this guy on the opposite end of a TV. He's really tall. He is tall. Former quarterback, He's a quarterback at uh, yeah. Colorado, Colorado, too, but uh, not too bad. Um, but the actual event itself." is not particularly <laughs> riveting, wouldn't you say? I mean, once you get into the business but, side of things, it's yeah, just like... Yeah, it, it's kind of whatever. Yeah. And especially... See, here's the thing. For you and I, we don't have credentials for regular OU games, but we do for Big 12 Media Days. So that's kind of like a big opportunity for us to ask questions and stuff like that. Even with that being true, 
it's still boring. <laughs> I mean, it's like the the media days itself. Like, Especially when like, Bob Bowlesby gets up there and starts oh speaking. Everybody's, Charlie everybody's, Brown's yeah. teacher, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's just like, I, get off. I'm like, you're hungover and Bob Bowlesby's like putting you to sleep. And oh, God. There's not enough coffee in the world to keep you awake. I remember podcasting. You just kind of have to tweet through it. You and me podcasted with more friends of the pod, uh, Keegan Renault and Braden Conover. And I remember a lot of fun. bringing uh, several drinks up to the the room and podcasting and going down for more drinks and the, the... man i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that podcast because it's... i never re-listened to it oh oh man and i i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i was not particularly sharp during that podcast. i think a lot of us were not for various yeah, reasons um but anyway yeah big 12 media days it's a, it's a very fun congregation of media members and you have a good time yeah. outside of the event itself so that's why it's pretty cool and yeah. it's a it's a nice opportunity to get out of town too but here's the thing this virtual media days thing yeah it's gonna was be not weird. going to be fun either professionally or outside of that it was just going to be i would imagine getting a question into these guys would have been a nightmare yeah, it was going to be an odd setup it, it's tough to get a question from lincoln riley regardless during big 12 media days because of the scrum Yep. Imagine if you're in a Zoom thing, the number of boxes that are in this Zoom when Lincoln Riley is talking. How many questions are you going to be able to get in? Who is going to call on you? Yeah, in like what a 20-minute period. Like, what's the system for getting questions in? Uh, I was wondering is. about all of these things, and I assumed that it was going to be a fucking mess, frankly. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. So, but there are a few questions that I kind of wanted to ask, and Kamiara, we're about to get to that. Yeah, so because we're not hosting Big 12 Media Days... Uh, we all came up with some questions that we would like to ask. because, And since we don't know the players that these coaches were going to bring, even though we could surmise who Oklahoma was likely going to bring, um, we came up with some questions about what we might ask different coaches or players at Big 12 Media Days. So, uh, Jack, you go ahead. Well, one thing, and this was something that was originally asked in 2017. It was Lincoln Riley's first year. First time we ever went to Big 12 Media Days. Uh, Kardik Rajendran, who he's no longer um, a paid member of the staff, but he's still part of the family and can contribute whenever he wants. So shout out to Kardik. He was my partner at Big 12 Media Days that year. And his question, one of his questions to Lincoln Riley, was which player on the team does the best impersonation of you? And mm -hmm. Riley's answer at that point was Nick Basquin. He said, he said this without hesitation which makes me think that he's probably done this impersonation a lot. But now that Nick Basquiat is gone after three years, I'm wondering who takes the crown. Guys, who do you think would be a good candidate for doing oh, the best impersonation I, of Lincoln I think it. I think it has to be a guy that's been there a long time. So I pencil me in for Tanner Schaefer. Tanner Schaefer would be yeah, a he good seems one. like. Tanner Schaefer or Tanner Mordecai. Hmm. Like a know. guy that's been Caleb there for Kelly so many would years. probably do was, a good yeah, one, even though he's Caleb on defense. Kelly. Even though he's on defense, uh, Trey Brown would probably do a good one. I I would imagine Creed would do a very good one. Creed's a funny guy, and his, Creed's accent isn't that far off from Lincoln Riley's yeah. either. So I, I agree with Stephen. I think Creed could do a good beat and bow where he just well, yeah. <laughs> stare at the oh, camera sure. camera awkwardly and not really answer any questions, <laughs> just stay angry the entire time. 
His oh god, Bill Biedenboe's headshots will give you nightmares. You stare directly into Bill Biedenboe's eyes, you turn to stone. Anytime he smiles, like an angel dies, so that's why he doesn't smile. Possible. It's possible. I mean, I've got some questions. Um, I've got a couple for Link. I've got one for Tom Herman, and I've got one for Matt Campbell. Since Matt Rule is no longer there, so. I, I I really Matt, like. Yeah, your your primary man crush is gone, so you have to yeah. go to your secondary. I, man I have crush to go from man Matt man rule Matt rule. <laughs> I have to go from that Matt to the other Matt and Matt Campbell. So, I would ask Lincoln Riley maybe two questions. Um, what his favorite show on Netflix was, because that genuinely interests me about what kind of person he is, and. I would think about these two questions for my second question for Lincoln Riley, which was either why did you choose to squib kick in the Rose bowl or, um, and then just like have my heart broken either way, which, whichever way he answered, because I still wouldn't be satisfied because that game's in the past. Or I would ask a legitimate question in, Hey, COVID-19 leaves not only respiratory issues, but longstanding issues cardiovascularly. So like in blood in your heart, uh, does that worry him at all about Jalen Redmond and his issue with blood clots and how might that's they an interesting question. address that? So that's something that I would ask Link. And then Herman, I would just ask why he's such a little bitch. And then Matt Campbell, I would ask him if I could be his friend. That's what I got. Steven, what do you have? I only came up with two. One's more serious than the other. Um, I would just probably ask Lincoln Riley, um, just about what the mood was following all the transfers out of the spring. Because there was like, what, 12, 13 transfers? Oh, it was an open door. I, yeah. I, I, I keep on imagine, imagining, on like, I just keep on getting the image in my brain, like, kind of like on Hard Knocks on HBO. It's like, oh, he's got a text from Coach. He needs to come see him in his <laughs> office. It's just an open office door. And, like, he's gone, like, two minutes later. Beating like, bows in the corner staring at you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything you'll regret, kid. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the other one, I think I would ask Gundy if he's gotten any more OANN merch following uh, that <laughs> catastrophe. Because I've always wanted to be a person where someone contacts, like, hey, you want some merch? I'd like that. So I, w- I want to you know, know if Gundy got like another like a sweatshirt. Yeah. Maybe he's a tank top guy. He seems like a tank top guy. He definitely he seems like a tank top guy. Man. That's like, yeah. OAN like, probably sells wife beaters, though. <laughs> probably gets a wife beater. Oh, my God. I might get in a little trouble for that one. <laughs> we guarantee like five one star reviews. That's fine. Hey, That's uh, fine. anyway, but like, yeah, no, really, though, like, but it was, it was revealed that OAN reached out to him, right? And he was like, yeah, sweet, free merchandise and took yeah. it, right? That was actually our former boss, Matt Brown, who through Freedom of Information Act. Hey, got those emails so shout job, out man. matt brown yeah we're gonna have to oh, have man. him on the podcast sometime soon really good he's got his extra point stuff going now which is really cool and he's so a really good stuff. dude so we'll have to have him as a guest talk a little college football i like i liked gundy at last year's big 12 media day he went and fell on his sword for his team he, and was actually oh, a good he dude. owned up to that shit big time i was impressed yeah. he always switches between impressing the hell out of me and making me laugh and being just like a a dipshit like uh, like a non-funny dipshit and, like uh, i mean just like saying you know stuff like uh he, he, him forcing his sid that this still pisses me off 
forcing his SID to go in front of the media and say, hey, if you ask about Jalen McCleskey, your credentials will be pulled. I mean, who, yeah. who does that? Mike Gundy does I mean, that. that's absurd. I mean, he, he, he prefaced saying the, he prefaced the, the usage of the application of Twitter with, right? I mean, that was, see, that was funny. I mean, I that. thought that was kind of funny. And, yeah. you know, his like whole shtick with, you know, rattlesnake hunting and all that stuff, which conveniently popped up around the time he got a mullet, which makes me think mm. that, you know, he might be, you know, putting on some bullshit here. Yes. Which, uh, yeah, I think that's correct. But anyway, it's fun. You ask him to dap it's, you it's up. Interesting on Twitter. Yeah, he's Gosh. definitely you know he's creating a persona here, but because I think everyone knows that he is not this, you know, carefree guy. He's kind of an uptight asshole by yeah. all accounts. So, the, you know, the dap between him and Chuba was always. It's like <laughs> yeah. that I was. I need to get that as like a gif. That was the most uncomfortable. We, oh, we can gif it tonight. But that's that was probably the one of the most uncomfortable uh, daps I've ever seen in my life. But uh, yep. yeah, Lincoln Riley, after the first week really of camp, um, he, in a kind of on-the-field question, like, he wasn't even at a presser or anything. It was just straight up like, oh, hey, how's, how's practice, coach? And he said, oh, man, we got competitive depth everywhere. Of course, not linebackers. Um, how much truth, though, do you think is in that statement? Is he just coach speaking the hell out of us? Do you think there's some truth to it? Do you think it's just like it, he's a coach in the middle of practice? What the hell else is he going to say? How did you take that quote, Stephen? Or Jack? No, Stephen. <laughs> I, I think it's somewhere the truth's in the middle. Um, I think there's more competitive body types, especially with the way they've been recruiting uh, the past couple cycles. So, I think there's some truth there. Now, does he really think he has, you know, five deep at every position? No, especially linebacker now with, with, with two guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically gone. Um, so, I, it's just somewhere in the middle. Linebacker, obviously, that's, that's fallen through quite a bit. Jeff, See, he didn't necessarily say quality depth. He said competitive depth. A lot of the guys behind the, uh, you know, you know, number one on the depth chart, guys who are number two or number three on the depth chart, guys who are probably unproven, but guys who have a lot of upside. Oklahoma's been recruiting defensively a lot better over the last couple cycles. So there are guys who theoretically could make some noise and maybe push people. And maybe there's a little more depth there other than linebacker than you've seen in the last few years. So I I, I don't think he's lying there at all. I like I really like the distinction you made between words here that may go that really honestly that may go, you know, the people just equate the two that may just go, you know, whatever. Like, like there's a difference between quality depth and competitive depth. The, the word. Used at least there is someone to important. push the people. Yeah. At this right. point, I will say that. In which Spencer Rattler no longer has too. that. <laughs> uh, but going on the, the, the PAC 12 guys, they are really just – they're not having it. The players, these athletes. I mean, this statement from the Pac-12 players outlining their position and demands. Their, their list – it was on the Players' Tribune. They literally have a list of demands, uh, which includes a restoration of eliminated sports because, you know, COVID and all the other things. Uh, reduced pay for Larry Scott. And it's not a – Larry small, Scott's pay should be resu- yeah. reduced to $0. It's not a small pay cut they're the asking this man to take. Scott. 
yeah, and he, like literally the Pac-12 is dying, and he was up ahead, and and fifty percent compensation from revenue generated from their sports. Like they are not fucking around over in the Pac-12. And do you think that's something that is exclusively for the West Coast because? of where they're at positionally and maybe like educationally in the United States regarding all that stuff? Or do you think in, and then my next question is, do you think that could spread And Jack? What do you think? Okay. So it might shock some people to learn that Stan Stanford and Cal and USC's uh, priorities here might be slightly different from Oklahoma's or Kansas State's standards here yeah. or Alabama's standards here. The Pac-12 is a little different. I'm not saying they don't care about football, but they're probably, you know, for better or worse, their priorities are in a different order over there. But if you're serious about football, you don't go play in the Pac-12. I I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Oregon right now, if you're serious, I think you – I mean, the ship they're running right now seems serious. Recruiting-wise, I mean, they're getting really good up front in a way that they were not under Chip Kelly. Yeah. I, I, you know, in Washington, you know, Jimmy Lake is head coach right now. I think that's a really promising program. USC, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what are you going to do? Is Clay Helton even still there? I haven't been paying attention. He's still there, isn't he? I don't remember, actually. I think he's still there. I mean, I know at Graham this point, Harrell's I can't even keep up because I feel like he's on the hot seat every year, which does not seem like a healthy arrangement. I, I know feel like if, if it gets to the point where your coach is on the hot seat every year, it's probably time to move on just because that's not a very healthy situation. Yeah, he's still there. He's yeah. still there, yeah. But so, do you I think mean, this can spread to elsewhere around the other leagues if they get what they want? These players? Are... Maybe to an extent. Maybe a little bit. But like you said, the culture is just different over there. It is, yeah, much different. I think it's just really interesting. In, in, in the NCAA, if honestly, it they're letting the conferences rule the day. They're there, like the NCAA is like really honestly a bystander out of all this. Well, it's really as far odd. as football is concerned, they really don't have much authority. Yeah, they don't because they don't have they don't control the NCAA championship in that sport. They can control eligibility and things like that, but yeah. there are a lot of things that with football are left up to the conference self so they don't have as much leverage as far as that's concerned. and so like they, they are just like a bystander and like a guy that like offers advice maybe but they don't have much stuff in here so like it, it could get interesting but something that the NCAA is mentioning and this is important because of some stuff out of Washington State that turned out not to be true but whatever all NCAA athletes must be offered a opt-in opt-out approach regarding COVID and the pandemic, which makes sense. That's fair. And should a student opt out, regardless of their status, that scholarship must be honored. And several schools around the country have already said that was going to happen anyways. But the NCAA just coming down and saying that's going to be the case, uh, that, I think it puts that to bed. And, you know, I had two questions that came along with this. Is A, how badly is this going to mess with scholarship numbers if it I think because I think it will. And B, 
I thought it was also cool that the NCAA established a snitch hotline to report <laughs> malpractice during a kind of like the NBA, yeah, yeah. So what do you, what do, what is your guys' thoughts on this regarding the NCAA, the scholarship thing, possibility of messing up the numbers, and I just like the snitch hotline. I thought it was fun to bring up. Well, as far as messing up the numbers is concerned, let's think about this. I. OU has already said it has had zero players who have chosen to opt out. Now, granted, mm-hmm. if someone gets a little upset about something and maybe – I'm not – I wouldn't judge anyone for opting out, but I would not doubt that someone opts out for reasons other than COVID and says that it's COVID, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I would certainly respect someone for opting out, but I feel like if you have a few more, you know – tiffs throughout fall practice you're going to see a few of those but granted at this point there are zero with Oklahoma you had one with West Virginia today or the day before and that was like a big headline I mean if you're only having a few opt-outs at this point it's really the impact that it has on scholarship numbers is fairly negligible right it'd probably be minute and but I, I think about I think about because of the pandemic, I think of guys being able to transfer freely almost for a year. I mean, it seems yeah. like that's like, cause yeah. we talked about this a while ago, like, Oh, that's not going to happen. We don't, we don't, that'd be really stupid and like wacky. And like, now it's becoming a reality of like, they, they, these guys can go a lot of places. And as long as they have a somewhat okay, justifiable reason other than like, Oh, well, the, the COVID then it looks like they are being granted that in like this weird unconventional time of trying to do sports and so like i'm thinking of like a the scholarship stuff but also be the transfers in and outs and red shirting and I, I just feel like it's it's a lot for this year i mean steven what's your take on that i could see it messing with some of the the higher named athletes so let's use like um creed humphrey for example because everyone knows who he is listening to this podcast let's say you know, like Jack mentioned, it takes a while for the, the offensive line to get things together. It takes three games or so. And those three games aren't guaranteed. We, I mean, we're not guaranteed a season at this point. If he goes through those three games and, you know, his film is kind of lackluster, he loses some draft stock. So I could see a guy like that saying, you know, you know, maybe I'm not worried about getting COVID, but, you know, if I play three games and three games only and they're bad – at my position, I lose a lot of money off of this. So I, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where I wouldn't blame him for doing it. If those are his intentions, I mean, you, you got to go after the money at some point, you got to take care of yourself. Um, so I could see some of those, those things happening there. I, I think that's fair. Michael I, I Parsons just, has already done it. Yeah, well, look at TCU and we're about to talk about those dudes, but like, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so like speaking of TCU, Oh my gosh! What this was this yesterday or the day before? I can't. Uh, a few days earlier this ago. week or this weekend or something like that. And it was just like in the morning, there was a, a player team. that had come out and said, you know, or there's rumors that the team didn't practice on defense or whatever because Gary Patterson said the N word to a player and whatever, and everybody like the world stopped still. First of all, because we're like whoa like gary patterson said this like he seems like a really straight laced dude and b like that's like read the room and of course more things came out about it like well like a lot of players came out and basically clowned on this guy 
that said that Gary Patterson's treating them wrong and calling him the N-word and stuff like that, which wasn't true, apparently, according to all the other players on the team saying, you know, that like, no, he wasn't saying that. He was actually talking about the players saying that, that word in the meetings, and Gary Patterson had an issue with that. And then Gary Patterson said, it wasn't like I was saying the actual word, but I mean, oh man, it's, it's such a lot to, it's such a lot to unpack. And it's mind boggling that in 2020, we still have to tell people that you cannot say this word in any context. That's what I'm getting at. Thank you. Stop. Just stop doing it. (laughs) At this point, it, I mean, do I think Gary Patterson's a, a racist human being? No, I don't think so. No, right, exactly. Do I think he is a dumbass who's tone deaf at this point? Yeah, of course. Especially I mean, as a head he, football coach. He's a yeah. great football coach. And you're, when you're in that position, and in the middle of, of Dallas-Fort Worth, men, of a D1 school. You're in charge of that many young men. The fact that you don't know that you can't do that is mind-boggling. And maybe and one other, yeah. And one other thing that it, uh, one of the players brought up is that they gave Gary Patterson a talk about saying things like "I don't see color" and yeah. "race doesn't matter." That's something that you hear from a lot of, I suppose, well-intentioned white people at this point. Which I understand what they're trying to say, but at the same time, the thing is that for your ancestors it sort of did matter a lot. And they put in a lot of institutions that held minorities back for a very long time and still do to this day. And this is what people are referring to when they talk about systemic racism. So when you say things like race doesn't matter, I don't see color, you're opting out of the conversation and shirking responsibility. And that's essentially what Gary Patterson is doing there. So I understand why his players are pissed about him saying things like race doesn't matter, I don't see color. Yeah, and Steve, what do you think? I, I wish people would stop saying that. Is basically what I'm saying. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I think Jack said it all. As, as a head football coach, and you, like you said, right, right in the Dallas area, I mean, you have to be above the fray because because if you're not setting an example for everybody else in that program, then you don't deserve to be a head coach. Yeah, and and we don't know the context as far as like how much how much emotion he was feeling and like how the situation came down. Like he might be like feeling like that weird rush, a rush of, of adrenaline about being pissed off and trying to justify yourself. But regardless, the bottom line, I think we can all agree with this. The bottom line is regardless of the situation, regardless of your status, like you said, do D one coach in Dallas, Fort Worth in the big 12, regardless of all that, regardless if you're a racist or not don't use that word there's a reason why you don't even say that word when you're referencing that word you don't Don't do it when you're singing a song lyric or anything just don't do it like i say all other words on this podcast fuck shit ass bitch but i can't say that word because (laughs) it's stupid because it's racist and it's just not okay to use it Right. And like he might he might have been full of passion and rage about this player. Doesn't matter. You've been in high pressure situations as a football coach. Don't use it. That's it. That's I'm off the soapbox. Now, let's go to another head coach. 
John Beam at Last Chance U. This has been my favorite season it's of Last Chance U. It's refreshing to see a junior college coach who isn't a complete dipshit. Yeah. Isn't it? After Buddy like, and uh, Jason Brown. He's a great guy. He seems like a really, like, there's re- a genuine dude that loves his players. Not like, are his players as talented as the ones that Buddy Stevenson or, no. and Jason Brown had? No, they're not. But is the show more enjoyable because of everything they are going through? Sure, yeah. Like, so, Steve, Steven, what's your takeaways? You, I think you said you were, like, four episodes in? Yeah, I'm at four or five episodes in. I love it so far. I think it's probably the best season yet. Um, I know in the last podcast I said, you know, it'd be my, nice to see it to go to basketball. But uh, after this season, I'd love to stick with it. See, that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Got, like, yeah. I would love to see another season with John Bean. Yeah, and he has a kick-ass mustache. He don't, It covers his top lip. It's, <laughs> I, I, I kept on thinking, how does this man eat and not have all this? Like, how, how does he not, like, accidentally chew on his mustache? Because it's all his up walking in walking cane thing or staff. Is his walking staff, staff is... His like addiction to eating carrots every day. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Jack, how how far are you into it? I am up until the last episode. Okay. Okay. So I'm waiting to see. They've had their struggles, but granted, they've been playing without a quarterback for most of the season. <laughs> they went through like four. Yeah, and they're <laughs> playing a wide receiver who's a very good wide receiver, and they're playing him at quarterback, and it's sort of a sort of hindering his development and yeah. his. Uh, ability to get offers at this point so. do you guys ever google the players before the series is over to see what happened to oh, them or totally do you, or yeah do you try always. to keep hold off until the end I, I i i always cave i always tell myself that i'm not gonna do that but i end up doing it but that's good stuff this season there aren't as many players to you know look at i mean yeah. it's mostly it's more of a human interest story I agree. it's always been a bit of a human interest story with this but it's way more on that side of things with this one which i enjoy I it's really like a, do. I, I love like, all of the stuff about the city of Oakland and gentrification yeah. and stuff like that. All I mean, it, I, I knew a lot of that stuff, but other stuff is really eye-opening on that front. So it's definitely educational. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good because I mean, I did a I did a study on this in college, and, and especially in grad school when I was in a, an MBA class, and they were talking about like, oh, like they, they use pretty words like city beautification. Like that's what they did in Chicago when it went from crap to really nice and then like to make wonderful monuments. And they're doing the same thing in Oakland. City beautification. We're really taking back the city. But what that doesn't tell you is that they are buying properties for a dollar and then make jacking up rent so high to where a lot of these guys, their college is in Oakland, but they don't live in Oakland because it's too expensive. And so you have poor kids going to college in Oakland and having to drive through all that traffic. It's a lot. And like you said, it's it's more of like a human kind of like like it's more like a like just a really good documentary about like humans and like their plight for success and there's just a lot of like guys like living in their cars whereas like the first seasons the first two seasons at scoot and scuba it was just like players bitching about like you know not winning this game but not having the right certain equipment and they have like six uniform combinations and then you go to jason brown at indy and it's more of the same diva 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 and then you come to this stuff in in uh laney and it's like not necessarily so much diva except the the brother from that it goes to oregon state it's a lot of guys that are just trying to make it in life. And that's something you got to really appreciate about this, besides the fact that John Beam being a great dude and having a great history in Oakland, California. I mean, I, I, I think it's something 
that's great to watch. So if you guys haven't watched Last Chance You that are listening to this, get on it. Get on it now. It's a great series. But I mean, I that's all I have. Do you guys have anything else? Um there was a story, I think it was yesterday. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but it was like a former five-star recruit, Isaiah Wilson, uh, basically shut down his recruitment with Michigan with uh, when Jim Harbaugh came into his house with his new Jordan cleats on. And I guess his house had like a, a hardwood floor and, and Harbaugh, I guess, refused to take him off during the visit. So he just like scuffed up this kid's floor. What in that hell? <laughs> what? <laughs> it was on like, uh, I think it was 11 Warriors who posted the story. That sounds like the most Harbaugh thing ever. Kinda. I mean, he's weird. But now I just imagine like Harbaugh like walking in khakis and like Jordan cleats and just like destroying your nice floors. It reminds me of that episode of Chappelle's show when he's supposed to be Rick James and he's on Charlie and Freddie Murphy's and uh, Charlie, yeah, Charlie Murphy and Freddie Murphy's couch. He's like, "Fuck your couch," and he keeps on like. <laughs> Putting his feet on the couch and getting all muddy. That's exactly what I'm thinking of right now. So that's like the tone deaf, like uh, head coach thing. I was trying to work that in there earlier, but I didn't. That's that's the Michigan standard. That's why they are constantly <laughs> above average, but not good. How about you, Jack? Anything? I'm straight. I'm good. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Go ahead and follow us on crimsonandcreammachine.com. Lots of stuff always coming. And like Jack said, Alan Kennedy recently just wrote up a piece about uh, stuff about undersized, maybe defensive linemen no, in, no, no, in the play. No, no. This was back in the fall, or immediately after the game he wrote. Ah. This was the concern. I'm saying I'm going to retweet this it's from a, almost a year ago. But it's an important thing. It's an important thing to dive into. Of course, it is. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so just check out everything we have dropping every day. It's like a lot of good stuff. I mean, it is very good stuff. And follow Jack. Uh, you can follow him at CC Machine or at J. Larry Shields. You can follow Steven at OUPdatedSB. You can follow me at KMRobbie and CCM. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I think Google Play Podcasts are going away. So now it's just Google Podcasts. If really? You say, yeah. If you guys could give us a five-star rating on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that. And until next time, we'll check you guys later.